comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. everybody and welcome to episode 104 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined tonight by Mr. Russell Latham. How you doing, Russ? Uh, cold for Texas. <laughs> it's also cold in New Jersey. Uh, now, you were sick last week, so how are you feeling this week, sir? Uh, better. I mean, you can tell I still have my, uh, my cold voice, uh, but the cough seems under control and uh, feeling a lot better than I was last week, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. And of course, Jim is not with us tonight. Uh, he had some other responsibilities he had to take care of, so it's Crossfire Mark Two, as we discuss Episode 7 of Season 4 of The Walking Dead, Dead Weight. Uh, this episode was written by Curtis Gwynn and directed by Jeremy Padoeswa? Padoeswa? I do not know how you pronounce that. P-O-D-E-S-W-A. But uh, it was well-directed, whoever directed it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, once again this week, I will be taking the position of I really like the episode, and Russ had some more reservations about it. So uh, why don't you say we get right into the episode, sir? Sounds good. Alrighty. So Dead Weight, before we even get into the plot, had some surprise guests in it that I was very excited to see. We had Kirk Acevedo as Mitch Dolgan, and we had Enver Jokaj as Pete Dolgan. Now, our listeners might not know those names off the top of their head, but I think Russ and I are both very familiar with these actors. Kirk Acevedo played Agent... Uh, what was his name? Charlie Francis, I believe, on Fringe for a number of seasons, and he was awesome on that show. And Enver Jokaj, who played Pete, he was on the show Dollhouse, which was the last Whedon show before uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although both were kind of sort of Whedon shows, but they were Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron shows. Um, and while that show had its ups and downs, Enver Jokaj as Victor on Dollhouse was always phenomenal. He was just the highlight of pretty much every scene he was in, a tremendous actor, and so I was super excited to see both of these guys on this episode, um, but then not as excited when it became quite clear that we would not have both of them again next week or the week after that. We still might get Kirk Acevedo for a while, who knows, but uh, unfortunately Pete does not make it through all the way uh, through this episode. Uh, spoilers. Spoilers on. <laughs> but you're, you're familiar with both those actors, right, Russ? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kirk Acevedo, I've, I've followed him for a while. Of course, he was a big part in Fringe, and he played the voice of, uh, I want to say Joey Estacado, but it's not Joey, it's uh, The Darkness. He was the, he was the oh, main was character him? in the, yeah, in the Darkness game. Yeah, yeah. And the sequel. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it took me the longest time to recognize in this episode. Like, I was looking at him going, I know him, I know him from something. And it wasn't until the name Kirk Acevedo popped up on my screen that I went, I know that's him. I got to Google it to find out who it is. But before I even could hit the Google button on my phone, I remembered that it was Charlie Francis. Good old Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the voice. That voice, I don't know how, even as a young guy, he still had that, like, old man voice. I don't know what the... Lots and lots of cigarettes, I'd assume. I don't know, man. I mean, I've known people who smoked a long time don't have a voice like that. So, <laughs> And like you mentioned, of course, Enver was in Dollhouse. was a show that uh, that I like quite a bit. I, I know Johnny M and I were uh, big fans of Dollhouse. And I like the second season. I love the second season. The first season had its ups and downs. Yeah. But yeah. like I said before, he throughout was just amazing as Victor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Th this guy, he's one of the few non-comedians I've seen, I don't, I don't think he's a stand-up anyway, who can pull off impersonations extremely well. And that was one of the things he would do in the show, and it would just, every time he would do it, it would be like, okay, apparently he can do that amazingly as well. A very underrated show, gone before it's time. Yes, indeed. 
But what's not gone before its time is The Walking Dead, so let's talk about Deadweight. Uh, we pick up right where we left off last week, with the governor and Megan down in the zombie pit. Martinez standing above them with his, uh, with his gun, and he quickly reaches down and t- gets Megan out of the pit, and then he stares at the governor for a moment before throwing a rope down and letting him out as well. And when, when they get out, we see there's a whole group of people. Tara and Lily are still alive as well, and Martinez has a whole group of people. And he tells the governor that pretty much they have one rule now that he's in charge. You either contribute or you get out. No dead weight. And that's where we get, of course, our episode title. And the governor agrees, and they journey to Martinez's camp. Later on, the governor, Martinez, Mitch, and Pete go on a supply run. And uh, they're following a map made by one of the other camp survivors. And they notice something in the distance, and it's a decapitated corpse with a sign around its neck that reads liar. And they don't know exactly what that means. Uh, and so they keep going into the into the woods, and they find a cabin. And as they get there, they find another headless corpse with the sign around its neck that says rapist. And at the front door, they find another one with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, still has a head, and it says murderer written on the sign. So it's already quite weird as they make their way into the cabin. And they, they hear some noises. They, they, they do quick tests to see if there's any zombies. They, they make a little bit of noise to draw them out. And they can hear a zombie in the distance, but it's not coming out. So they figure it must be trapped somewhere. So they go inside looking for the zombie. They go from room to room. And eventually the zombie comes out. It attacks one of them. Um, but the governor grabs the zombie, stabs it in the head, and it is no longer a threat. But they do find the heads of the decapitated men zombified in one of the closets, which is quite creepy. It was almost like chattering teeth, right? I mean, they were still... Yeah. That was crazy, because I guess the heads themselves hadn't been bashed in, so they were still, quote-unquote, alive. So they wonder what exactly is going on, and the governor says it's probably best that they just don't dwell on it. But they, they sit down, they find a couple beers and some supplies, and they reminisce about what they used to do in the old days. Uh, the governor dodges the question. He simply says he survived. But then he asks uh, the, the other guys the same question, and Mitch and Pete reveal their brothers... Um, they both served in the army at one point, and I believe it was Mitch, uh, the one who survives, again, spoilers, who was a tank operator, which is important because at the beginning of the episode, something we, we completely left out, um, it's cutting back and forth between uh, the governor and Megan in the pit and the governor and Megan playing chess and discussing, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, step up and make a move. You got to stop thinking about it. You just got to make your move. And eventually we see as the camera pulls out, and I thought it was a really cool use of framing, they reveal that there's been a tank next to them the entire time. A giant, I think Abrams tank, but I'm not a tank guy, so I could be wrong, but a big military tank. Yeah, yeah. Which was just awesome, because the cool thing was, the barrel of the tank, of of the actual main artillery gun on the tank, was visible for a lot of shots, but the way it's framed, I thought it was part of the clothesline. I thought it was like the pipe the clothesline was hanging on. And so it was just a really masterful reveal there. That would have been awesome to have the clothesline. Your clothesline is attached to a tank because the tank is, in general, so useless. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Very uh, significant piece of hardware that uh, that showed up. And also significant that they have someone who knows how to drive it. Yes. Because uh, while we normally don't spoil things for the comics, I think this one is fine to say that the governor had a tank in the comics as well, although back when he was in Woodbury, he just didn't have anybody who knew how to drive the thing, or at least not how to fire the guns. So they had basically a a big useless tank. Here we've got a tank and a dude who knows what he's doing with it. I will tell this personal anecdote, um, because I think the same thing. Like, you would have to really know how to drive a tank. But my dad told me the story back when he was in the Army long, long time ago, he figured out that if you knew how to drive a vehicle, you could get out of KP duty. So they ask if anybody knew how to drive a half-track, and of course my dad said, of course I do. So he volunteers. My dad didn't even have a driver's license at the time. So he, he knew how to drive nothing. But apparently he was able to pull the manual out on this half-track vehicle uh, and learn enough in a very short period of time to be at least somewhat competent at, uh, at driving a half-track. So while on the surface maybe it seems like it would be difficult, or it could be that my dad was just some sort of strange uh, track-driving prodigy. Not, not really sure which, which one. Which is all well and good. I, just, I guess the governor just didn't have the manual Maybe in so. the comic version. Maybe so. Because that would solve a lot of problems. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is maybe it's not quite as difficult, maybe, as it seems. But, uh, but you never know. Or your dad is just really good at interpreting manuals. Maybe so. He's maybe, or maybe he's some kind of, uh, like I said, some kind of uh, tracked vehicle prodigy. 
so th- they finished having that conversation. They also mentioned that uh, Pete was serving at Fort Benning, which was, of course, a minor plot point or somewhat significant plot point earlier on in the series when I believe it was Shane wanted to get everybody to Fort Benning. Somebody wanted to get to Fort Benning, uh, but it was overrun. They, they eventually found out. So back at camp, Lily is forming a makeshift nurse's station. Um, and she's helping to bandage up Alicia, and uh, Alicia and Tara quickly strike up with the flirting, and by the end of the episode, they seem to be a pretty solid couple, so that's cool. Uh, one gay character finally last week, and now we have two, so it's on the right track. And then when the supply group gets back, they share some beers, they hang out, tell some stories, and Martinez gets a little too close to telling some of the stories of what had happened with the governor, or at least hinting at them, and this does not make the, the governor, or as he's still going by in this episode, Brian, very happy. After they have their little sit-down with the uh, with the beers and everything, uh, Martinez says he's got a surprise for the governor, and so they go up with a, a bag of golf clubs and some golf balls to the top of Martinez's RV, which seems to be farther away from the main group's uh, RVs and such. We don't really get a good layout of the camp, but it's a decent distance away. And uh, they, they share some drinks, and they, they're hitting golf balls, or at least Martinez is. Martinez tells you know the governor that Shumpert didn't survive, um, much longer after Martinez and he left the governor, he got reckless. He was bitten near one of the Walker pits and he had to kill Schubert out of mercy. Um, but then he then tells the governor he's willing to share leadership responsibilities and he offers to, sp- uh, to share them. But the governor gets very angry and from off frame, he hits uh, Martinez in the back of the head with a golf club. Um, he then kicks Martinez off of the RV, climbs down, grabs Martinez, drags him to the nearest Walker pit where there's a bunch of walkers. He holds uh, Martinez's head over the pit uh, and keeps yelling at him, I don't want it, I don't want it. And then he lowers him down close enough to the walkers to let them grab him and watches as they drag a screaming Martinez down and devour him alive. It didn't come out of nowhere for me. I mean, I kind of, and I don't know if maybe it was the music or the way they framed it or the way they kept uh, flipping back to the governor. I guess the whole episode I was kind of waiting for for him to just kind of flip and turn. And then right. it just happened. So, I mean, that was the moment. Okay, it's like, okay, now we know exactly what this is, and here we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mean to say that him turning was a surprise, but just the exact moment that he did it yeah. was, was very surprising, which was cool. Uh, let me ask you this, because this was talked about a little bit on Talking Dead, and I don't think we got really an answer. But when he, when when Martinez said, he said something about, you know, splitting power or something like that. And then the governor said, you know, not, not, what did he say, not anymore or not? He said, I don't want it, I don't want it. I don't want it, right. And and they kind of debated it, and I wasn't quite sure, was was that, I couldn't tell at that moment, like, is he killing Martinez because he insinuated the fact that he would have to share power? Was he killing Martinez because he didn't want to share power but knew that it was his responsibility to lead this group because Martinez didn't have it in him? Or was he just pissed off at Martinez for even even insinuating the fact that that he would start going down that path that he he was before and it was just like this internal struggle? I think it was, for me, definitely the last one. He didn't want any power at all. But I, my reasoning for that is based on some things that happened later in the episode and some repeated visuals. So I want to hold it till we get to those. Sure, sure. Because um, I actually thought it was kind of cool how they represented it. Fair enough. So after the governor kills Martinez, uh, Lily and Megan come back to the RV where they're staying, and uh, they find the governor sitting on the bed kind of shaking. And I don't know if I'd say quite crying, but he's he's upset, clearly. And he tells them that he just had a bad, a bad nightmare and, uh, you know, just brushes it off. And the next day, Pete reveals to the rest of the camp that they found Martinez's remains, um, that he must have gotten drunk and fallen into the pit. Um, and then he says, you know, for, for right now, I'll be the leader. As soon as we can, we'll set up a... You know, some type of voting system so we can vote on who's going to be the leader. But for right now, that's going to be me. And some people are happy with that and some people aren't. Um, it almost turns into a scuffle, but uh, Mitch and the governor kind of help calm everybody down before they start arguing about who's going to lead the camp. Now, <laughs> my question for you, Russ, is do you, don't you think they should have shown us how big this camp was before this? Because it went from being like a 10-person camp to all of a sudden there's about 50 people there. And it really threw me. Uh that didn't seem to really bother me too much. Uh, I, I, it's, it's not something I, I noticed. I, I will say at one point we looked at the camp and there seemed to be a whole lot of camp uh, uh, RVs that I don't remember seeing. I guess it wasn't the people that surprised me. It was the RVs that surprised me, I guess, at one point. Well, it seemed like later on in the episode, maybe they had all moved them in closer together, more wagon train style. Yeah, that could have been, yeah. 
But yeah, the people thing didn't really seem to to get me, no. It's nice to see RVs on the show again, I gotta say. I agree. So later on, Pete, Mitch, and the governor go on another supply run, and they come across a small camp out in the woods with, oh, 10, 15 people or so. And they debate whether or not they should go in and basically rob the camp. And I think they even say not kill people, but just take the stuff they they have. They've got a bunch of people and a bunch of supplies, and their group needs those supplies. But they decide not to. Later on, they return to the camp, and they find that everyone there has been killed, not by walkers, but by some other unseen group of people. And so those supplies that they debated taking, they're now gone, and that leaves uh, Mitch even more angry than he was before when he wanted to go in and rob it, because they could have at least been the ones to get those supplies if the people were going to die anyway. That whole thing, to me, just felt very, very odd. It seems like, A, they go off on a lot of these supply runs. Like, it seems like every two hours they're going on a supply run. The other thing that I thought was odd was that they, it seemed, and I think maybe it's just, it's just because it's a 40 minute show or whatever. And it's hard to show, you know, time progressing or, or it it seemed like time contract a little bit, but it, it didn't, it seems like a, that camp would have been too close to their camp. And the fact that they left and came back and then all those people were dead. They didn't hear anything. They didn't see anything. Nothing like that happened. It the whole thing just seemed really odd to me. Like something, I don't know. It just it just didn't work for me at all. Well, I wonder if they're trying to set something up both with the cabin with the decapitated corpses and this that there's some third even worse group out there, possibly even the same group that's sabotaging the prison. It could be. I mean, that that was one of the things I thought too, but it just the whole thing just seemed very disjointed. It was strange. I mean, for for the number of supply runs, I just kind of assumed like you were hinting at that it was you know, it, we're looking at a couple months here, and it just seemed like they were, you know, every other five minutes. But yeah. it's hard to tell. It, yeah, it is. It, it 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 is hard to tell. I will say, you know, when when the people in the prison, when Rick's crew, when they go on a supply run, at least anymore, you know, they load up the tr- the car, they make kind of a big deal out of it, and they you could kind of get the impression that they're going far away. With the governor's new camp, it, it I don't get that impression. It almost seems like they're on foot. They're not going very far. And so, again, that's just what I think added to the weirdness of this camp, this fairly sizable camp that's just out there within walking distance, but yet, you know, they haven't run across these people before. And the same thing with when they ran across the decapitated body and that cabin and stuff like that. I mean, now granted, I mean, they could be walking for several hours, but I would just think these people have been set up for at least a little while, maybe a a couple few months, that they would have come across people within reasonable walking distance. Yeah, yeah, that's true, although you never know. That camp could have only popped up there a couple days earlier than that, and they might not have just run into it. But, again, we don't get a lot of information on that, and it does come off very strangely, so who knows? Maybe we'll find out more in the future, maybe not. But, so, that night the governor goes into his uh, into his trailer with Lily, and he tells Lily and Megan they need to leave the camp right now. Pack your stuff. Pack anything you're going to need, food, clothes, whatever. Um, as soon as it gets dark, we are getting out of here because things are about to go south in a very bad way. Now, do you think he was saying that because he feared if he stayed longer that he was going to go down this path of becoming who he was and he was this was like his last attempt to try and escape that? Or did he really feel like because those campers were killed, those bodies were found out, that there was some, there was some kind of impending doom that was coming to their camp? I would say both. Um, Part of it goes again to that thing I'll get to later, but I think it was a little bit of both. A, he doesn't want to become the governor again, and B, either that other unnamed group gets there and things go bad, or just things with Pete and Mitch are going to go really, really south, either because Pete is weak or because Mitch might be insane and evil. Yeah, I just kind of thought it was he started feeling like he was going down that path and was like, okay, I've got to get out of here. Well, I was kind of amazed when they found the camp in the first place, or not in the first place, but when they found it had been overrun, that their first thought wasn't, we need to get back to our people right away and make sure the same thing hasn't happened to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But if it did, they just didn't say it, you know. So they get in the car, and it's the governor, uh, Lily, Megan, Tara, and they bring Alicia with them as well. They get into some vehicle, I guess it was a 4x4 or something, and they get on the road at night, they try to get out of there, and they come to this awesome visual of a road that's just covered in mud, kind of a flooded out section of road that's just filled with mud and zombies that are up to their waist in the mud. They're grasping at the governor, they're grasping at the vehicle, but they're so stuck they cannot move from where they are. And it was one of the coolest things I've seen on the show recently. 
Yeah, no, that was definitely an awesome visual. I mean, whatever else I I have opinions on as far as the show, the direction for these last couple episodes, that was way impressive. I mean, that was, you know, on par with, you know, the things that fell from the ceiling or even just the mass horde against the fence. I mean, it's just very impressive visually and and creatively. I was saying to my sister who was in the room, I was watching the episode, it it looked to me like something out of Dante's Inferno. Like yeah. just those bodies becoming yeah, one yeah. with the earth and screaming in pain or whatever, you know. It was creepy. So because their path is blocked, there's just mud everywhere, and, and these walkers, they turn back and they return to camp. So the next day, the governor goes to Pete's trailer, and he goes in with Pete, and he says, look, we need to talk about your brother Mitch. And uh, Pete's like, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, we're going to have to do something about him. But the moment Pete turns his back, the governor stabs Pete in the back and then strangles him to death. He then goes to Mitch's trailer, forces his way inside at gunpoint, and makes Mitch sits down and then tells him point blank, I killed your brother. You know, he was weak. He was going to get everybody killed. You were right. We should have robbed that camp in the first place. Um, and he says, basically, I'm in charge now. And uh, we're, we're, as long as you're with me, you'll be fine. And and they also relate a little bit more. We got a little bit at the beginning of the episode and a little bit here about basically the governor's father was abusive, which is not exactly surprising. No, uh uh-uh. So we then go a little bit further into the future, and the governor is organizing the survivors to form a rough perimeter around the camp. They've got some barbed wire and fences, and uh, like we said, they, they've moved all the uh, the RVs into kind of a, a wagon train-type situation. And they also mention that they have, like, a wall of vehicles out in the woods or something to work as another layer of protection against walkers. Yeah, he's def- I really like that aspect of it, you know, where he's trying to refortify, and he's the tactician. You know, it's almost kind of like his his Rick moment, or I guess his you know his his old self. You know, really just kind of you know back to the way he was. Right, and we also see the governor take Pete's uh, corpse to the lake, uh, a lake they had passed earlier. He weighs it down by the ankle. There's a, it's a chain, and then it's chained to something else, and he throws Pete into the lake to dispose of the evidence. Which we'll see a scene later. That was just another one of those awesome vi- really cool visuals. visuals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you know. I think two of the top ten visuals in this show since inception were probably in this episode. I I would agree with you. So later we see the governor looking at a map and he's marking it up when Lily comes by. And when she asks, he says that they need to keep moving to a more secure location, probably the prison. Um, That's that's my commentary. But Lily believes that their current location is safe enough. Uh, Later we see Tara on guard duty um, when Megan comes up and tags her, says she's it. So Tara chases after her. And uh, Megan goes looking for a hiding spot, and she finds uh, herself by the uh, by the clotheslines again, and she thinks she sees Tara on the other side, but it's not. It's a walker, and uh, it quickly grabs her. She she starts to get away from it. She's trying to crawl under an RV. Uh, Tara hears the screaming. Tara comes, and another cool visual grabs the zombie by the ankle, and the flesh just starts to tear away and slip down. And eventually, the governor comes out and shoots the zombie in the head. Everybody's fine. But again, another cool visual. Nasty. That was so nasty. <laughs> and that gives uh, him some more ammo for the argument that this place is not safe. We need to move on. Uh, the governor goes back to the lake uh, to reflect on what he's going to do next. And this is where we get that visual again, where he stares down into the water. And Pete is now zombified. And even though he's chained to the bottom of the lake or to some weight at the bottom of the lake, he is there floating towards the surface and grasping out at the governor. And you can see him through the water. And again, just awesome looking. Yeah, pretty incredible. And I, th- I think it was on Talking Dead uh, that said this, and, and I, it's funny because I thought about it at the time while I was watching the episode, so uh, it, it'll sound somewhat like I'm ripping it off from the show, but, but like instead of his head aquarium, now he's got like a head lake or something. You know, he's got, in- instead of sitting there watching, you know, TV aquarium with these heads in him, he, he can just, uh, you know, obviously he's not staying here based on the end of the episode, but it would have been kind of cool to see if a few weeks or a few days had gone by, he just started putting, you know, dead people down in there. And he looks out <laughs> over the water. We just see like six, eight, ten of these people that are just kind of clawing for the surface um, at the it's bottom. It's quite the upgrade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, yeah, just a stunning visual. I mean, I, I'm sure, I, I wasn't sure if, if on Talking Dead they maybe did it. Did they do it behind the scenes on that? I didn't watch the whole thing. They um they didn't do it behind the scenes, but they did show, I think it was in the Fresh Facts section or something, they showed some stills, and it was actually either Enver Jokaj or a stuntman down there, and they had, uh, between between shots, they had um, 
basically a, a, an air hose that they could uh, that they could hand over to him so he could breathe. Uh, and it was shot in a pool. I think those were the only information they, they gave him. But it wasn't CG. It was actually a person under the water doing that. Yeah, it definitely looked practical. It did. It did not look uh, digital. So I'm hoping maybe on the season four Blu-ray or whatever they do a little featurette or something on that on on creating that. That that's pretty. That that would be pretty cool. That that would be neat. So that night, or a night soon after that, the governor jumps in a truck and he travels off into the wilderness. We see him drive for a bit, um, and by the time he reaches his destination, it is light out, so it must be quite some distance. And and he's walking up through the woods, and he turns a corner, peers through some trees, and we see it's the exact replication of the shot, or maybe even the same shot, from two weeks ago. He is at the prison, and he sees Rick and Carl digging in the prison yard, and the governor uh, hears some noise off from another direction, so he walks towards it, and he sees Herschel and Michonne disposing of the dead from the recent uh, flu outbreak. And uh, when the governor sees Michonne, he gets very angry. He grabs his gun, he aims it at her, and we cut to black. The episode ends. Pretty crazy. I guess it's hard to say at this point whether it's the governor that was kind of goading them along on the fence because he could have easily, you know, we know months have taken, have gone by. You know, he could have snuck away and done this, but it just seems like an awful long way for him to go just to be kind of playing tricks. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah, so I, I think there's there's still another force at work here and like you're like you said jordan it could be that whoever it was that wiped out the camp and and did the thing with the bodies that could they could be responsible for the shenanigans at the at the prison it could be somebody on the inside still i mean i I really hope and i'm i'm guessing we'll find out next week i i hope they don't just let that lay and we never kind of get to the bottom of who that was Um, i i don't imagine they do that to us yeah I mean, I, I get the impression, and I don't want to get into next week's episode at all, but I get the impression that next week is going to be pretty final for the governor's story. Um, we will see. But I, I feel like that might be the second half of the season, is finding out about what's going on with the, with this other group. And, and he, I wish it was the Hunters, but at the same time, this doesn't feel like their M.O., and I'd rather them get more than just half a season. Like, the Hunters feels like it could be a whole season in and of itself. You know, maybe after whatever battle comes up in the next few weeks here, or the next few episodes, rather... Uh, maybe we have a larger prison population because I'd assume that some people from the governor's camp might be allowed to stay at the prison. You know, a lot of them are just normal people, and uh, that would be you know having a, a big population would be a good time to have the hunters come into play. It's a very cool storyline from the comics that I will not spoil because it is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, we mentioned it a few times. I kept holding off on it, but um, I think your original question was, "What did the governor mean when he says I don't want it? I don't want it?" And I said, "Well." I want to hold off on that because there's a couple other things in the episode that I think tie directly into that, at least in my reading of his mentality. And those two things are things we've already talked about uh, quite uh, heavily, and those are the the zombies in the mud and Enver Jokaj at the bottom of the lake. And so here's, here's what I'm thinking. Hear me out here. I think the governor, and I, I think last week's episode and this episode really served together to reinforce this, at least in my head. The governor does not want to be the governor. So let me put it this way. Philip, or Brian, does not want to be the governor. He wants nothing to do with that. He wants to be, he wants to have a family. He wants to be normal. He wants to be left alone. He wants that, but he can't have it. He is the zombie at the bottom of the lake, clawing up towards the surface, completely unable to move from where it is and get to what it wants. He is the zombies in the mud who want to get at the truck and get at him, but who are stuck in the mud and can't get what they want. He wants to be the hero. He wants to be left alone. He wants to have a family and just be a good man. But something inside of him will not let him be that. He is trapped. He doesn't want it. He wants to be something else, but he can't. And to me, those three things altogether worked just to kind of illustrate his psychosis, if you will. And I'm probably using psychosis wrong, but just a man who wants to be something desperately, but internally he is something completely opposite to that, even though he doesn't want to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, def- I definitely can see that. And, you know, I gotta say, I liked those images of the zombies in the mud and at the bottom of the lake, not just for how cool they were, but also because... If I'm reading it correctly, and that is the recurring visual metaphor, it was the least hit-you-over-the-head-with-it visual metaphor The Walking Dead has ever had. Um, you know, we've talked about that in the past, how they like to really hammer in, hey, Herschel's picking up a Bible or putting down a Bible and picking up a gun. Isn't that important? And here, if I, you know, if you want to read into it like I did, 
awesome. But otherwise, no one in there is like, oh, those zombies are just like you because you also want to be something different. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah. Cool. What was not quite as subtle was, you know, in the beginning where we had uh, some more chess metaphors and sometimes you've just got to make your move and all that kind of stuff. Were, were you expecting more chess stuff in this episode or were you fine with just a little bit um, in both episodes to kind of reinforce the metaphor, but not really, you know, they weren't, you know, aside from, you know, sacrificing pawns or whatever, they weren't really getting into some crazy chess metaphor. It was just, hey, he's the king. Yeah, yeah, I think it was it was good enough. I I didn't need to be. I I don't think, given the amount of time that they have to tell the story they needed to tell, I don't think it was necessary to really just knock you over the head and belabor that point too much. I I think it was pretty uh, pretty obvious what was going on. So before we get into our Buster ratings and everything else, Russ, who is our sponsor this week? Our sponsor for this week's episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can save a ton of money on your comics, graphic novels, various tchotchkes that are geek-related. There's all kinds of cool stuff at DCBService.com or InStockTrades.com. And as we mentioned in the past, DCBS recently acquired the website Tales of Wonder. Uh, and so they are working on order fulfillment for Tales of Wonder as well. They've also added uh, some clearance books that you can find on the sites. Some books as low as 70 cents a piece. Some highlights for this month of November for Discount Comic Book Service. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski, if you're familiar with him from Babylon 5, big-time comic book writer J. Michael Straczynski. He is kicking off a new Twilight Zone series. So Twilight Zone number one from J. Michael Straczynski is 50% off this month, making it only $1.99. Bunch of bundles this month, too. All new Marvel Now, which is the second round of Marvel Now titles. Uh, Single-issue bundles, you can get them for 50% off for $31.42 for that whole bundle, which is which is a really good deal. Vertigo, the DC imprint Vertigo, uh, first uh, single-issue bundles at 50% off for a total of $10.96. If you're not into the physical books, uh, you can go to dcbservice.com, use their Comixology portal, and earn 5% back on your purchases. So again, if you're saving up for that Walking Dead trade or hardcover or omnibus or whatever, uh, and you like the digital side of things, but occasionally like your print, uh, you can order up on the digital side and apply that 5% off to a print volume at some point through DCV service. Uh, on the Walking Dead side, tons of stuff, t-shirts, uh, all kinds of little knickknacks and stuff, as well as uh, the first bi- uh, bi-weekly issues coming out. Uh, Walking Dead 119 and 120 are both solicited for November at 40% off, so you can get them uh, for 179 off the regular cover price of 299 And if you haven't ordered from DCB service in a year, or it's your first time ordering, you could use the code WD8 and get an extra 8% off your order. So we thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. So, Russ, let's do Buster Ratings, but since you weren't here last week, do you want to give a combined Buster Rating for this week and last week, or do separate ones so people know what you thought of both episodes in full? Uh, I think I think the one rating will uh, cover both, so I think I'll, I'll kill two birds with one stone. <sighs> I'm really conflicted, I will tell you this, but I'm going to stick with giving it a 2.5, and I'm really conflicted because, and we talked about this a little bit off, off air beforehand, I think the episodes themselves were good television. If you took this episode out and just said, how was the acting, the directing, uh, there are a couple of things I had problems with, but I think it was just because of the compressed time frame that, you know, there were basically five episodes to tell what was going on through this, some of this time, whereas in, in with the governor, we got two. It, it just seems like we were right back where we started from. Like, I don't know why... They either didn't drag the Woodbury thing out a little longer or do this story as a part of that. It just seems like we we got all this time for him to go back and basically be right where he was at the end of Woodbury. He's just as ruthless. He's just as vicious. I mean, the only thing different now is just that he's got this this new family that he's he's trying to protect or whatnot and have this final standoff. But it's like we've already done that. Like they've already kind of had their standoff once already and now we're going through it again now granted he's got a tank this time and didn't have that last time um (laughs) which which kind of uh puts puts a whole new dimension on the playing field but i just really feel like it just spent a lot of time to 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 not go in a a, to get back where where we were and to just rehash something that that maybe 
I don't know if it's just because they weren't satisfied with the way it turned out before, or I, I don't know if this was how it was or originally intended to be. I, I don't know. I just, I just don't like the fact that, especially since this, the season's split in two. We've got eight episodes and eight episodes. It's 16 episodes overall, and we've got two of those 16 episodes that are dedicated that don't have any of the, of the major characters in there. I mean, there's no there's no Rick, there's no Daryl, there's no Herschel, there's no Glenn. I mean, none of those folks are in it. And we're I feel like we're getting two whole episodes dedicated to a character that either isn't going to make it through the rest of the season or something really bad is going to happen. Most of these people are probably going to die or or, or something to that effect, and I could be way off base. I mean, there there could be a, a whole. I mean, this 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 could play out over a very long period of time, but it just seems like if they've spent all this time to get us to a zero sum game, I'm just I'm just not not with it. I I think even maybe if it was one episode, like if they would have told this story in one episode instead of two or a half episode, I I, I don't know. I'm just I, I just don't like. The direction. I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it, I'm I'm very conflicted. Like I said, because I don't want to disparage the quality of what they did in in putting the show out. I'm just not happy with the direction they took for these two episodes. I mean, I kind of get what you're saying, and you you and and Jim. I, I don't know Jim's thought on this episode, but I know his thoughts on last week's episode. You guys who who didn't like this episode in last week's episode are not alone. I mean, it seems to be splitting people right down the middle, and not just. Um, you know, I've read a, I read a lot of reviews of The Walking Dead and other shows I watch. Critics are split, viewers are split. Either people really liked it or really didn't like it. So it, it is interesting to see how divisive it has been. I liked last week's episode a lot. I think I I think I gave it a four point seven five, and if I did, I would give this one a four point eight. Otherwise, just add a point five to whatever, <laughs> or a point oh five, I guess, to whatever I gave last week's episode. I really enjoyed it, and and I get what you're saying about. You know, zero sum game, and for anybody who doesn't know zero zero sum, it's basically if you have zero, you add five and then subtract five, you're back at zero. I, I get what you're saying, but to me, we're not back at zero because now I know a lot more about the governor. I know a lot more about who he is and who he wants to be and who he doesn't want to be, but who he is anyway. And now we have this old group of survivors. Plus, add in this theoretical third group. You know, I could see a situation where the governor and his people attack and all of a sudden they're getting shot at from behind and you have all of a sudden a much bigger force comes in and throws a wrench into the works. That could be very interesting. But I mean, I don't feel like we're at the same zero sum that we were. I feel like it's it's a lot richer now. Like whatever comes next, the governor will be a much more rich character. If he dies, if he lives, whatever, I'll be a lot more invested in that story than just, oh, here's the crazy villain who they already fought a couple times. Can we just kill him now? Like now I'm connected with him a little bit. I'm connected with Lily and Tara and Megan and Alicia and, you know, and Mitch and all these other characters and a lot of red shirts as well. So that's why I don't feel like it's a zero sum game. I, and, and I agree with you completely separated from The Walking Dead. These two episodes together, really cool little short story. But I don't know that adding them in subtracts from the overall plot. I, I don't think you could do this in one episode or even half an episode because I think the the juxtaposition of last week and this week was was major. It was huge to show you what the governor wants to be and then what he really is inside. And yes, we knew he was evil from the get-go, but to know there's more than that was kind of cool, you know. So I, I, I totally get people who like the episode, people who don't like the episode, nobody's wrong, but... I enjoyed it for what it was, certainly. Um, so I'll, I'm, I'll be excited to see what happens when the prison camp and the wagon train camp inevitably show down. But uh, for now, I, I've really enjoyed these two episodes. Yeah, like I said, I'm just very conflicted because I think, like I said, from a quality of television perspective, I think they were both very, very good. I just I just don't like that they went that way. And it's it's tough, too, because you couldn't weave this story in over the last uh, five episodes, like you couldn't, because the time frame would be all right, wrong. exactly, because because of the time frame. So it was kind of an odd thing because they had to tell what was going on with the governor. Yet, you know, over a very different, you know, we jumped at episode one to six months later. So it's just it it made it very difficult. I guess maybe backtracking a little bit to the last episode, I had a problem with him being this mopey, like when they showed him moping and like he almost seemed like malnourished and where he almost, you know, 
basically seemed at death's door just kind of ready to pass out. And then he just did some weird things, like he picked that guy up and started walking him around. And I, I don't know, it just felt really, that one felt a lot more disjointed, I think, than this one we saw last night. I, 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 so I guess it's not fair to really give them both two and a half. Maybe, maybe give the first one two and this one two and a half. But like I said, very conflicted. Now, one thing we mentioned in the episode uh, recap, but we didn't go too far into it. That was another cool visual thing. The, the decapitated bodies, one is labeled murderer, one is labeled rapist, one is labeled liar. All three of those things apply to the governor as well. Now, rapist, you know, it's a little bit more up in the air, but certainly going that direction with Maggie last, uh, last season, does that, do you think that ties, in, you know, uh, I, I don't want to get into the novels, but I know there's some stuff with the military and, and similar things to, you know, lying, raping and murdering in, in that book. Um, but also all those things apply to the governor. So did he see himself in those bodies, do you think? Um, and because again, he then finds, he finds these three bodies and then juxtaposes them with a picture of uh, a guy and his happy family. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely see that because I, like you said, those things were very prominent. He saw them directly and they all apply to him as well as whoever, uh, the unlucky soul was that, uh, had their head lopped off. Yeah, yeah. A, a guy who tried to protect his family against these people, it seems like. But uh, while the governor is, he, the governor's both of them. He's the guy trying to protect his family, and he's also the evil force coming for the family in some ways. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff there. So on the Facebook page, and of course you can go to Facebook right now and search for the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. we got a lot of awesome discussion there. Every week there's a lot of cool stuff. People get to leave their thoughts on the episodes and we read them here. And lots of fun memes and uh, Walking Dead offers, Walking Dead news, anything Walking Dead you want to know about, you can find it there on our Facebook group. So here's what some of our listeners thought this week. Ian gave it 4.5 Smith and Wessons. He said, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, which is very true. Brian Arnold gave it 3.5 golf clubs to the head. The writers pulled the wool over my eyes. I thought they were taking the governor a different direction, and instead they take him right back into comic book territory. Not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not sure I like they got to where they did the way they did. And, uh, you know, we we talked about this last week a little bit, um, or Jim and I did. And I was really excited that they were, you know, looking at bringing the governor in a different direction. I said, you know, it's really cool because we've never gotten to see that side of the governor. And I, I could see an argument against me that says, well, this episode says this episode didn't get, give you what, it, what you wanted then because you want to see a different side of the governor. And to me, it's more interesting that they ask the question, is he anything other than evil? Uh, you know, I, I don't need the answer to be, yes, he is more than that. He is a good man. I'm fine with him asking the question and the answer to be no. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's, it's more interesting that you ask the question than just to assume he's an evil SOB, at least to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, real quick, too, I think part of this for me is reconciling that this version of the governor is not the comic book version of the governor. He's never going to be the comic book version of the governor. And I, I think a lot of the conflict is where... Maybe I have trouble just based on my own personal bias, um, and it's just kind of hard to get past it, I think. Which isn't on the show, that's, I mean, that's that's on me, that's not on the writers or Kirkman or Gimple or any of those guys. I mean, that's that's definitely a, a me thing, not a them thing. Everard gives it 3.5 weighted down floating walkers. My pick for worst episode of the season as the story weaknesses were most evident. Uh, he gives some examples. What was with the decapitated, decapitated walkers with the crimes on their chest? What significance of the roof in, uh, leak in the roof of the RV? How did they not hear the camp getting raided? Why not finish off Pete, etc.? Um, we didn't actually talk about the leak in the roof, but that I would say that the hell be... out of me. <laughs> Where the hell is well, that water coming from? You, you didn't notice the roof? The roof was all kind of caved in a little bit on the RV. Yeah, but there was no rain outside. It wasn't raining, yet there was still water coming in. I was like, right, but is... water will accumulate on divots and roofs like that and leak through over time. Yeah, but. Man, it just seemed like it was constantly le- it was leaking like it it was raining outside. I, I've had leak dealt with leaky roofs before, and it just seemed like it, I don't know. It just it just was <laughs> like where the hell is this water coming from? And I was like, it's not the pipes because in an RV they don't plumb everything above the ceiling. I mean, the only no, no, not at all. The the only exception would be is a lot of times the AC unit is on above the 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 roof, but it didn't seem like they had an air conditioning unit going. So I don't know. That just really bugged the hell out of me. 
I, I would say that's an example of a heavy-handed metaphor in that it's the leaking, you know, it's him trying to stop the flow, trying to stop the leak, trying to stop turning back into the governor and failing. You can't stop that leak. It'll keep going forever. Yeah. Um, that, to me, was a little bit more ham-handed. I, I, guess, I guess I was just too distracted by the fact that I was wondering, where in the hell was that water coming from? Anyway. <laughs> I got you. Uh, Mary says 3.5 chess moves. I thought it did a decent job in wrapping up the governor's story and brought us full circle to him standing outside the prison. Uh, can't disagree. It certainly did bring him full circle. Terry gives it a four out of five. He says, after the governor had his talk with Mitch, I told my wife he would need to sleep with one eye open. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, Brian gives it 4.5 out of five mud wrestling zombies. The governor is back. I knew he'd want to regain power, but when he took the golf club to Martinez's head, it took me by surprise. Real quick, somebody somebody posted a meme on the uh, on the Facebook group, and normally I'm not a big meme guy. I I on, especially on Facebook. I, I mean, they get posted everywhere. But this one was really funny, and it was it was um, Martinez saying, "Do you know why he changed changed his name from Philip to Brian?" And and I, I forget who was else was in the in the image that they they showed. Oh, this was on Talking Dead too. Oh, was it? And he goes, "Why?" Yeah, yeah. Or, he goes, "Why?" Because there's only one I in Brian. I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." And there's two eyes in Philip. In Philip, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that one just really. I, I I saw that at work today. I just started laughing out loud. My coworkers probably thought it was crazy, but um, but that was funny. Uh, Trisha says, "I am ripping my leg skin off with three point five busters." Okay episode. Underwater Zombie Pete was the only surprise for me, but next week should be epic. Sarah says four out of five zombies in the laundry. I enjoyed, enjoyed them bringing the governor back full circle, but wish they weren't bringing the war with the prison back so soon. Mike Jones says, okay, last week I gave no rating because I wanted to see what this week paired with it and review them as one. That said, this was my favorite episode of the season. I give it a five backstabbing old pals out of five. I felt when Gov used that golf club, that was the switch that set him back to his old self. Michael Santana says five Vietnam-era M60 battle tanks out of five. So I'm going to assume Michael is correct, and that is a Vietnam-era M60 battle tank, which is good to know. I will forget it almost immediately, but at least for this moment, I remembered it. He says, I'm sounding like a broken record, but in Gimple, we trust. My only fear is that they will have a cliffhanger half assault on the prison next week. I really hope that's not what happens, but uh, we'll see. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think the fallout may be a, a cliffhanger, but I think we're going to see the full-on battle yeah i could see like maybe the battle's just about over and somebody major gets shot and we don't know if they live or die until because for people who don't know there will be a hiatus after next week um until i believe february i don't know the exact date but i, I could see that happening but i think the major assault will be over yeah i think it's the sunday after the super bowl if i'm not mistaken i think that's what the that's the big... which is normally how they do it so that makes yeah sense. yeah yeah not competing with football smart move Craig says 4.57 irons out of 5. The governor is back and better than ever. The Gimple regime is totally agreeing with David Morrissey. His performance in these last two episodes has been nothing less than superb. Renee gives it five kumbayas, and he asks, What redemption? And this is what we needed to see. He's a mass-murdering, torturing, evil man. You cannot come back from that kind of evil. Max Sofer says uh, 3.5 skunk beers out of 5. I like where we're at, but getting there was a little lackluster for me. Brent says 3.75 one-eye insults. Uh, Roger says 4.5 biter heads out of 5. Robert says 2.25 leaky trailers out of 5. Please forget all that kumbaya stuff I spouted here about the governor last week. That was the show I was writing in my head. My show has the potential to be more interesting and it would have a lot fewer red shirts. Seriously, all the killing of people is inuring me to any of it. Harsh, man. Harsh. Newt Knight says 4.5 out of 5 tanks for the memories. Ha ha ha. Leslie says four flashlights to the head out of five. Got to go with the mag light. For those of you wanting a good solid flashlight, that's the mag light is the one. <laughs> uh, Belinda gives it two out of five abandoned trucks full of food this week. Yes, lower than last week. I did not enjoy watching mental illness engulf this poor creepy bastard, the governor. They are willing to murder the other survivors for their supplies, but there's a truck full of food abandoned by the damn lake. Stupid. It is distasteful for me to watch humanity leached out of the survivors until they are no better than rabid dogs. Um, I guess she's talking about the truck the governor and crew took last week, but I was under the assumption that pretty much all that food was gone at this point, because the truck was fairly empty, wasn't it? Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot left in there. And, I mean, again, this is, like like you said, this this is probably a good... This episode probably took place, what, over maybe two months, three months tops? I could buy that pretty easily. Yeah, so, I mean... 
there's a and even whole... if it's a lot of food for four people, once they're right. with a group of about 50, that ain't right. going to go very far. Exactly, exactly. Shane says, 3.5 instant homosexual relationships out of five. Damn, that girl works fast. And I would agree, but they did seem to have pretty good chemistry. So, uh, hey, I buy it. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, the sister just seems a little... And I think they play it up that she's kind of full of it. Because um, they even... I think it's Tara says... Our, are you, you know, full? Are you, you know, always this full of it? And she pretty much says, "Yeah, I pretty much am." So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny. Hezron says three accepting sibling murderers out of five. <laughs> it kind of squandered the good writing from last week. I would like to know more about Pete and uh, and Mitch's prior relationship that he was so accepting of his brother's murder. But uh, hey, that's all we got so far. Don says two out of five decapitated military men. Weakest episode of the season and maybe the series for me. And finally, Gary says three out of five golf clubs to the head. Very clunky episode. This season has really taken to doing away with suspension of belief. I think he means disbelief, but anyway, uh, more so than the last couple of seasons. Remember how Laurie went to that big all-you-can-eat buffet in the sky? But this week was a stretch for a couple of things. First off, when we first saw the governor at the prison, that Jaws-like pulse music was playing, and the camera showed his profile with the patch, something they've done before uh, during his more evil deeds. I think it was their way of signaling he was still bad, even though I found myself rooting for him at certain points in the last episode. It was no surprise that he went back to being his old self. Look, it was fairly clear what he had been doing before he got to the prison. He needed a group to move in with him and attack. Now understanding that the show needs to compress everything into 47 minutes, he had a short time to usurp the leadership of the camp, and that is where things sort of fell into the well-isn't-that-convenient category. I don't know. I mean, again, I think it comes down to, again, we've talked about this a few times, just the compression of time in this episode. And and yes, that is a failing of the episode. They did not make it clear how much time was passing, but I, I did not have a hard time believing it because I assumed, like you did, Russ, that this took place over, you know, two or three months. Yeah, I mean, of all the issues I may have with what was going on or the direction, that 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 wasn't really one of them. I mean, there, yeah, like I said, I think there were a couple specific spots that it just seemed a little clunky because the way they were edited together, but I got I definitely got the impression that some time had passed. Real quick, we do have a voicemail. Brian sent us a voicemail, uh, but I think we're going to hold that either until next week when we kind of got the crew back together um, or possibly, um, and if, if for whatever reason we don't end up getting to it next week, maybe everything is just so awesome that we can't contain ourselves in an hour-ish. We will definitely get to that uh, in, in like a uh, mid-season recap episode. So, uh, definitely keep sending us the voicemails. We do have uh, the new voicemail number. I'll just shoot that out real quick for folks. It's the hhwlod.com voicemail address. We've let lapse the old one. It just made more sense for all of our shows to just have one number um, instead of paying Skype a bunch of money for two separate numbers. Uh, so because nine, Skype seven, is awful. Yeah, as we found tonight. Uh, this this <laughs> this episode was a bit of a technical challenge to to get done. Trust me. So 972-798-3830, and I'm sure when Jordan does the close, we will repeat that, but uh, I just thought I'd throw yes. that out there. It would be funny for me to release an unedited version of this episode with all the technical difficulties, but then you would have me muttering the F word over and over again during a lot of silence, so it wouldn't be very family-friendly. So we won't do that, <laughs> and it'll be a no, much and tighter then... and more listenable episode without all the silence. Yeah, and then me cutting in as well, I, I although I did do a pretty good job of trying to uh, fade that out, so as you go through and edit it, you won't hear me cursing wildly into the microphone <laughs> if you hear a lot of beeps this week folks that is why uh, <laughs> that's why the blooper this week will just be one long tone <laughs> uh, so before we go into our look at next week's episode which will be minorly spoilery as always and we'll probably talk a little bit about the preview for next week because that was a big one we normally don't but i think we'll make an exception uh, we're going to close out the episode as normal so, like Russ said before, we got the new voicemail number. It's 972-798-3830. That's 972-798-3830. And you can leave us a voicemail there, or you can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com, and you can send us a fake voicemail there as well, or just a regular text email. Check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, Black Box, Out Now, Jersey Shore, The Ichapod, Cranecast, and many, many more, even the uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. And if you like the show, I'm telling you, check out all the other shows. There's a lot of great stuff there. Anything nerdy that you can think of, and even lots of things that aren't particularly nerdy, we're talking about it somewhere on hhwlod.com. 
And uh, Aaron did not send in his uh, review of the show this week because, of course, he is on vacation out of the country. But he did have a friend of his and his co-host from the Ichapod Cranecast write a review. And uh, that should be up on the website. And if it's not up when you check, it should be up later on tomorrow. So definitely check that out. We always love Aaron's reviews. And if he trusts someone to write a review for him, well, then I trust it'll be pretty awesome as well. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook as well. Like I already mentioned, the Facebook group, the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. Lots of great discussion there. And like uh, Jim mentioned last week, we're going to be having a giveaway when we hit 500 uh, people on the page. So we're getting very close to that number. If you're not signed up yet, hey, this is your chance. One other special note this week, you may have noticed over the past couple episodes, I think three or four this season, the end music has had a bit more of a brass section than might normally be there. And that's because I've been playing a lot of songs from one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, Just over ten years ago, ten years and a couple days ago, one of my favorite bands ever, Five Iron Frenzy, broke up. The great band, I love them, Rock With Horns, Ska Before That, a lot of great stuff. And two years ago, they put out a Kickstarter to put out a new album, and I was lucky enough to be one of the people who got to support that album and help pay for it, and so I was super excited, couldn't wait, and guess what? It comes out today. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, November 26th anyway, it comes out today. It's called Engine of a Million Plots. All the songs from them that I played on the show were actually from that new album, because as a Kickstarter backer, I got the album two weeks early, and some other songs even earlier before that. So if you like the sound of those songs specifically, they're on this new album. Uh, you can get it at iTunes, Amazon, or at their website, 5ironfrenzy.com. So if you've liked some of that music you've heard of the last couple weeks, or the song you're about to hear at the end of this episode, I, I recommend you check them out. Really, really good stuff. And uh, I picked this song not just because it's a fun song, but also because I thought the lyrics kind of applied to the governor and his situation. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. Awesome stuff. 5 Iron Frenzy, the album is called Engine of a Million Plots, and uh, the sound clip I'm about to play is from the song Someone Else's Problem. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, when golfing, the governor, he doesn't have a handicap. He handicaps you. Have a good week, everybody. So long. (laughs) And next week on The Walking Dead, again, if you don't want to hear any information on next week's episode, cut out now. Have a good week. But next week on The Walking Dead is episode 8 titled Too Far Gone. And the synopsis we have from AMC is... Just as things start to calm down at the prison, Rick and the group face imminent danger. Not that we couldn't have guessed that from everything that already happened, but uh, first off, Russ, you mentioned on the email, and of course I already knew this, but for our listeners who don't, what is the significance of the episode being titled Too Far Gone? Too Far Gone is the name of the 13th volume of The Walking Dead trade paperback. Really deals with issues 78 through, I guess, 85-ish or so, which has nothing to do with the governor whatsoever. But I I do see a few parallels. I'm not sure if I wanna I don't know if it'd be spoilery or not. I think I think some of it I'm not sure if I wanna if I wanna get into it or not. But I do I do see some parallels thematically with probably what's with what's been going on and what's coming up um in both the show and in the book. Very mind you know, subtle things I think. More more having to do with Rick and his position within the group and and him kind of coming back into the fold of things uh, and stuff like that. But like I said, nothing specific about the governor in that volume. But it's just funny because we haven't had, I mean, the, the, the first episode of season one was named after the first, the first trade, the first episode of the comic. I think season two, the same thing happened. And then from since then, we haven't really, the episodes haven't been named uh, according to any of the volumes of the trade or anything like that. So this is kind of a popping back in, but yet, way further in the future than than the the stuff that this that is going on in the TV show as it relates to the comic. Normally we don't really talk about the previews for next week. I mean occasionally it comes in here and there, but this week we see the governor and his group preparing for war, him convincing them that they need to go take this prison from the people that mutilated him and killed his daughter and we see the tank at the gates with a whole group of people and it's not a, an exact shot from the comics cuz I think in the comics there was more like pickup trucks and stuff alongside the tank than there were than there was in the preview but it was an awesome image to see that tank at the gates of the prison uh, yeah and and so i mean we skirted around it in the main episode but it looks like the battle is coming next week and hopefully not as a cliffhanger because that would really annoy me um, unless it's done particularly well but it's going to be a uh, big shenanigans down at the prison 
Yeah, this is this is pretty huge. And especially after coming off the big flu outbreak, they're really going to be at a disadvantage to deal with it as opposed to last time where they they really knew it was coming and had plenty of time to prep for it. What do you think of the possibility of a third group coming in and getting involved? I don't know. I, I guess because there's just so many ways they could do it. It could be a group that comes in and, and becomes an ally for Rick and, and, and the prison crew. It could be somebody that is more aligned with the governor. It could be somebody that just takes an opportunity to uh, see how the chips fall and then come in. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities uh, for that. But I, I just, I guess the only thing I'm concerned is is just trying to go in too many different directions and trying to bring too many pieces in at one time. But I guess if you're finishing off one loose end from from a previous season, that I guess it's it's perfectly fine to to bring in something else. Fair enough. Well, I think that's all we have to say about this week's episode and next week's episode. So uh, have a good week, everybody. Along. And here lies the problem.